I want you to go to the word of the Lord with me now. Exodus 25 and 21. Sister Kathy Keys, we appreciate you. Uh, our project manager on the New West Angeles program. And let's give her a round of applause. Stand up, sister. Let us uh, give, give her a hand. The book of Exodus, chapter 25 and verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim are angels which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I give to you in commandment to the children of Israel. Seeing then in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession but we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, or to, the, to the mercy seat, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But you look at your neighbor and just tell your neighbor, you can come to the mercy seat. Tell them again, you can come to the mercy seat. It's so important that we know the nature and the character of our God. That is, that God is, among other things, holy, jealous, just, loving, merciful, and forgiving. Let's revisit the holiness of God for just a moment. Exodus 15 and 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders? Isaiah 57 and 5 says that God is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. Biblical dictionaries and encyclopedias indicate that the Hebrew word for God's holiness refers to God's absoluteness and his majesty and his awesomeness in comparison to us. God is to be reverenced, venerated, as totally separate from all that is human and earthly. Secondly, the term holiness of God is used to denote his essential and absolute moral perfection. God is morally perfect. Who a person is, 
and what a person is in many cases or determine how that person is dealt with or at least how that person should be dealt with. If you value your life, you don't just go running up to the President of the United States. Do you hear me? You just don't go running up to him as if you're just crossing a street or making a move. Some people have no respect or regard for anybody. They're always up in somebody's face. Sooner or later, they get in the wrong person's face and they reap the fruit of their actions and attitude. Sometimes the nicer you try to be to people, the more likely it is that they will feel that they can disrespect you and speak to you in a demeaning way. In a similar fashion, one's concept of who God is and what God is like will have a tremendous impact on how you deal with God. And how you deal with God has a tremendous impact on your well-being. If God was to be the God of the Israelites, they would need to recognize and trust in God's awesome power and his awesome might. They would also need to respect and honor him as the God that he was. You don't just walk up to God and start a conversation or establish a relationship. He is the holy God. I said God is the holy God. And he must be approached according to the instructions that he gives us. In Leviticus 10 and 1, there were two brothers by the name of Nadab and Abihu. And unfortunately, they did not know how to approach God. Leviticus 10 and 1 says, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, and incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. God had just sent down fire from heaven and had consumed a sacrifice. And he informed them the fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. But Nadab and Abihu, who were young priests and sons of the high priest Aaron, went and got their censers and put fire in it that was not from the fire that the Lord had sent down from heaven. They used profane fire. If God starts a fire, you don't need another fire. Are you with me today? So they put fire in their censers and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. By those who come near me, 
I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be holy. Their fire was false fire. It was profane fire. It was fire not from the Lord, uh, by the Lord. And because they chose that fire, rather than going to the fire that the Lord had started and setting their fires from that fire, when they did so, God set down that same fire that he had set down, and it destroyed them and took their lives. It's very obvious that recognition and respect for God's holiness was an essential ingredient to effective worship. If you really want to worship, if you really want to enter into the presence of the Lord, use God's fire rather than your fire. Don't come in yourself, in the flesh, but understand that you're dependent on God and his presence and his might and worship him in the beauty of his holiness and according to the power of the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands if you know that I'm telling the truth. Precise conformity to the standards and procedures outlined by God and Moses was not only required, but it was enforced under the threat of death. And so the dispensation of the law required total obedience. Deuteronomy 6:24, and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statues and to fear the Lord God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive in this day. And that will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these things and commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Unfortunately, this righteousness requires a level of behavior and conduct that we cannot attain. I said the level of righteousness set forth in the law and in the word of God requires a level of righteousness that we cannot reach on our own. No matter how hard we try in our own power, in our own might, we cannot really conform to the perfect law of God and the will of God. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle itself was an indication on the part of God that there would be sins and failures on the part of the people. The Bible says all our righteousness is but filthy rags. And so God, in the midst of our inability, had to provide procedures and acts that we could follow to be acceptable to God because of God's action and God's love. The, the tabernacle assumes a sinful and morally inadequate Israel. Let's talk about the tabernacle. Since they could not reach God, since they could not be perfect and conform to God's moral law on their own, that caused the tabernacle to be a sinful and morally inadequate place. And let's discuss 
how the tabernacle dealt with their inadequacy. Number one, there was a bronze altar in the tabernacle. A bronze altar was where they sacrificed the, 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 the sacrifices and where they presented God's selection of the acceptable price to be paid for sin and for forgiveness. And so the Lord gave a bronze altar to them where you could, where they could go and make sacrifices to appease the wrath of God and to repent and find forgiveness for their failures to perfectly obey God. The, the bronze altar represented the sacrifice which was to be made also later on by Jesus Christ. But then there was also a bronze lava, a basin. At this laver, a lava, or this wash basin, the, the priests would wash their hands and they would wash their feet and they would cleanse their bodies. And that represented spiritual cleansing. And then there was a table of showbread represented by God's people constantly before his presence and offering themselves to him. The showbread was made from wheat and wheat was probably the most precious commodity of that day and that place. Wheat was so scarce that God had to send manna to sustain them. But when they offered their sacrifice to God, God said, bring wheat. By offering that which was most precious, they offered themselves unto the Lord as a sacrifice. And then there was the candlestick in the tabernacle. It represented moral and spiritual light. It represented the light that God and his people were to be to a dark world. That's the candlestick. But then also there was a golden altar of incense, which represented God's people and their worship to God becoming a sweet aroma to God. God wanted his people to worship him and their worship should be pleasant to him. And so they placed incense on that altar and sweet smoke represented their worship and their love of God. Are you with me? We finally arrived at the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. That's the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant. We've spoken regarding the contents of the Ark in some of our former messages, but the Ark represented the culmination and the success of the process of involvement in the tabernacle. It represented the presence of God. That means by going by the golden altar and the candlestick and the altar of incense and going by the table of bread, they were worshiping and praising God in such a way that God would approve and they could come into the presence of God. Because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. It represented communion with God. And it was the highest sacred symbol of the Jewish people. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box made of acacia wood and covered with gold. 
It was approximately 27 inches high, 27 inches wide, and 45 inches long. And it was the highest symbol of God's relationship with his people, Israel. Originally, it contained the testimony of the Ten Commandments within the ark, but also Aaron's rod that budded, and also some of the manna that God had given Israel in the wilderness was in the ark. And on the top of the ark was a gold plate called the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat, two golden angels stood and kneeled over the mercy seat. Their wings touched one another. And they, in worship, brought these golden angels who also worshiped over the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was also called the throne of grace. But this dispensation of the law and the tabernacle was inadequate. It was restrictive. It was filled with fear, filled with insecurity, filled with apprehension. It was not God's best. God had something better than that. This is why, yes, how the Bible said that there was a type and shadow of that which was to come, and it was inadequate. It was inadequate because everything had to be done over and over and over again, and there was never a time when they could stop and say, we don't have to do this anymore. It was inadequate. But then also, it was restrictive because the Gentiles were restricted from even the court of the tabernacle. They could not come to the place of sacrifice and washing. It was restrictive because only certain people could go to the tabernacle and come into the tabernacle. It was restrictive because only one tribe could enter the holy place of the tabernacle, and that was the tribe of Levi. And then not all of the tribe of Levi could go into the tabernacle. Only the sons of Aaron, the priests, could enter. And not all the priests could enter into the most holy place, but only the high priest. And the high priest could not always enter the holy place except once a year. It was restrictive, only on the Day of Atonement. But then, not only was it restrictive, it was filled with fear, filled with insecurity, filled with apprehension. Failure to obey the instructions regarding the tabernacle could result in immediate death. I think that you tremble if you felt that you had to go to God, but if you went to him in a way that displeased him, you would die. And so when they would come into the house of the Lord and would go before the Lord and offer the wrong fire or involved in the wrong act or conduct or behavior, fire could come down and take you out. The high priest 
when he went into the Holy of Holies, had a rope around his waist, and the rope on the other end went to the outside of the Holy of Holies. And if while he was there in the Holy of Holies, he was struck dead, those who were outside would pull him out by the rope so they wouldn't have to go in there and get him and endanger their lives. It was a fearful ordeal. It was not adequate. It was not complete. It was filled with fear and insecurity and apprehension. Failure to precisely obey the instructions regarding the tabernacle could result in immediate death. Look at your name and say, wow. Whenever those innocent animals were sacrificed upon the altar, the priests were reminded that they and the people were really the ones who were supposed to suffer execution and death for their sins. They, they, they knew that it was not the sins of the animals, of the bull, of the heifer, of the goat, of the lamb. Those who had sinned and who were worthy of death were the people and the priests who came before the Lord. Everything in the tabernacle, including the priests themselves, had to have the blood of the sacrifice placed upon them. They could not come without the blood. The blood was an atonement for their inadequacy. There was a veil, a curtain in the tabernacle. And that Turk curtain hung between the holy place and the most holy place. And the veil not only separated them from the Ark of the Covenant and the most holy place, it prevented them from even being able to look into the holy place. Their religion, their faith, their religious worship was inadequate. And the veil not only separated them from the holy place, it prevented them from even looking into the holy place. So they were drawn to God by their need. They were drawn to God by their desire to fellowship with him. But they were driven from God by their fear and by their wickedness. Leviticus 17 and 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Atonement refers to the covering of sin. Atonement refers to the canceling of sin. Atonement has the effect of bringing God and that which is separated from God together at one minute. Atonement. And so on the day of atonement, the high priest was required to wash himself and put on the linen clothing that was appointed for that day. After slaying a bullock as a sin offering for himself and for his family, he had to carry incense into the Holy of Holies and allow it to burn until smoke filled the room. After that, he was to return to the holy place with the blood from his sin offering and sprinkle the blood 
to the east of the altar and then seven times before the altar. A goat was sacrificed then as a sin offering unto the Lord. And the same thing was done with the blood of this offering. After this, the remaining blood was to be placed on the horns on the handles of the altar of burnt offering and then sprinkled seven times on the altar of burnt offering. Thus, the tabernacle itself was made acceptable for another year as the meeting place for God and his people. After this, another goat would be brought to the high priest, and the high priest would lay his hands on the head of this goat and confess the sins and the wrongdoing of the people and of the priest. And upon this goat rested the unworthiness of the tabernacle and the sins of the priest and the sins of the people. After that, I want you to say after that. A fit man, a strong man, would then take the goat and lead the goat far into the wilderness and then release the goat in the deep part of the wilderness. There was a moment of great rejoicing when they carried this scapegoat into the wilderness. For he symbolized their sins and iniquities of the past year being taken away from them, lifted from them. And so the high priest would release the scapegoat. After doing so, and the strong man would carry the scapegoat into the wilderness, the high priest would go back and wash himself again. Some people have trouble with a Saturday night bath. This, this fellow had to take baths all day long while he ministered before the people. But it's difficult, difficult to conceive the depth of emotion which filled this day year after year. The people sorrowful and repentant. The high priest full of fear for his life. All of them having the knowledge that iniquity would rush in again on them. And the next year, they'd have to do the same thing again. The law, the practice of the law, the articles of the law were inconvenient, disruptive, and filled with fear. The blood of animals could not relieve the conscience of a man. He could not be relieved from the guilt he felt in his heart by sacrificing an animal unto God. The blood of animals could not change his heart or change his nature. The blood of animals could not remove the power of sin that had a monopoly over his life. The blood of animals could not bring about that permanent sense of the presence and of the power of Almighty God. It was inadequate. Would you just tell your neighbor, it was inadequate. So there was a sincere desire on the part of God and a sincere desire on the part of man for something better, for something that could bring us together with one another. Men found out that there were not enough lambs, goats, and bullocks on the earth to atone for all 
of our sins. The blood of sacrifices offered by sinful men do not appease the just nature of God. God was not pleased and God was not satisfied. And so man's hopes were exhausted and God's patience reached an end. But all of this was just a shadow of what was to come. Tell your neighbor, thank God. God had something better for us than the law and the tabernacle. Come on, tell somebody else, God had something better for us. And if you know God had something better, why don't you clap your hands and praise God. Hallelujah. Man's hopes were exhausted and God's patience had reached an end. All the law merely testifies that we'll be saved only through the blood. The law testifies that we will be saved only through blood. And Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 53 and 5, but he said that the Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you give God praise? Almost through now. We needed somebody who was related to us. Did no good to really offer up an animal who had not sinned, who could not sin, who had not failed God in any way. Did no good to offer a bullock or a heifer or a goat unto the Lord. We needed someone who was related to us. If a man had sinned, then a man would need to be punished. If a man had let God down, then a man would need to atone for the sins of men. And so we needed somebody who was related to us. But then also, we needed somebody who was innocent, who had not committed sins of his own. If he committed sins, he would die for his sins and not for mine. But if he was innocent and had not sinned, he could suffer for me because he was in my place. But then beyond that, we needed somebody who was related. We needed somebody who was innocent. But then we also needed somebody who was worthy because this is going to be a sacrifice not of one man for another man, but it was a sacrifice of one man for all men, women, boys, and girls who live on the face of the earth. Jesus is the only one who met all the conditions. Would you tell him, would you just tell your neighbor, Jesus is the only one who met all the conditions. Rich, poor, high, low, educated, uneducated, whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus meets all the conditions. Praise him. Praise him. And so we walk beside him. We walk beside him as he went from judgment hall to judgment hall. We were on trial for every sin of our life. 
we had to nod our heads in, in uh, agreement and agree with God when God gave the verdict of guilty and the sentence of death. We had to lift our heads and say, God, we are guilty and we deserve death. God, we are guilty and we are sorry. God, we are guilty. We have done wrong before you. But there, we should remember that our sins hung Jesus on the cross. The sentence, our sins was death. But we walked beside him on a hill called Calvary. Our sins hung Jesus on the cross. Our sins caused Jesus to cry out in agony. Our sins caused nails to be driven into his hands and driven into his feet. Our sins crushed thorns into his skull. Our sins, sins caused the blood to flow down from the cross. Our sins were responsible for the suffering of Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Tell your neighbor, we are healed. Give God praise. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. But Jesus, the Son of God, said, I'll take their place. I'll die in their place. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you for giving to me your great salvation. So rich and so free. Jesus hung on a cross as he hung there the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The centurion standing by who crucified Jesus said that this man was the son of God. He saw how Jesus died. He saw how Jesus suffered. He saw how Jesus, even on the cross, gave forgiveness to a weakened thief. And the centurion said, truly, this man was the son of God. How many of you know that Jesus is the son of God? Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. The centurion looked at him and said, truly, this was the son of God. Hallelujah. But I'm glad to tell you today, the veil had been destroyed forever. Come on, tell two people the veil has been destroyed forever. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace and we'll find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I've got to stop now, but Jesus can be touched. The writer said we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but who was tempted at all points 
like as we are. Some folk you can't touch. Some folk you can't approach. Some folk you can't even speak to. Some folk feel they're too good to have anything to do with you. But Jesus can be touched. I said, Jesus can be touched. I'm so glad I came to Jesus as I was weary, wounded, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. If you're glad today, clap your hands. Praise the Lord. He can be touched. The woman with the issue of blood could touch him. She was not too dirty or too low down. Jesus allowed her to touch him, and she was made whole. She was healed in that moment, and so he can be touched. No matter how you fail, no matter how you've let him down, Jesus can be touched. And then he's been tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Everything you go through, every temptation you have, Jesus has been there and done that. He went through the temptation without any sin, without any wrongdoing. He died for you. He died in your place. We have an infinite credit line in heaven. Jesus has a limitless credit card with a no limit on that credit card. And he gives it to us. And whatever we need, we can go to Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, it is done. Whatever you need, it is done. You can have it in the name of Jesus. I need me a songwriter to testify in this room. I need a songwriter to tell me his testimony. I hear him say, in loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy, to proclaim. But from the depth of sin and shame, through grace, he lifted me from sinking sand. He lifted me with tender hand. He lifted me from shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. He lifted me. Praise him. I'm so glad I've got Jesus in my life. I'm so glad he took me by the hand and put me in the hand of Jesus. I'm so glad all of my sin are washed away. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters. He lifted me. Tell your neighbor, love, lifted me, say it again, love, lifted me, 
We ought to praise Him because He gained the victory. We ought to praise Him because His name is powerful. We ought to praise Him because the angels praise Him. We ought to praise Him. I said we ought to praise Him because He humbled Himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. We ought to praise Him because He changed our lives. We ought to praise Him because God praised Him. I said God praised Him at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord of all. If you're glad to be saved, clap your hands. I'm so glad, so glad he picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I'm so glad I can come to the mercy seat. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad. I can come to the mercy seat. Help me praise him. Help me praise him. Help me praise him. Glory. Hallelujah. Whosoever will. Whosoever will. You can come and drink of the water of life. Freely, you can come and be saved. You can come and be healed. You can come and be blessed. If I were you, I wouldn't leave here without my blessing. Come on and praise God. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 